the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning, trust, and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman broadcasting from my palatial office in Cambrian Park, San Jose. Uh, Palatial might be overstating it a little bit. Pretty ordinary office and uh, it's comfortable. Uh, It's it's where I work um, throughout the week, helping families around the Bay Area with their estate planning needs and every now and then going to court Uh, on uh, court petitions to fix broken trusts and also court petitions to gather loose assets into a trust after someone has died. Um, By that, I mean assets that should have been titled in the trust at death, but for whatever reason were not. Um, I just, about a week ago, I was up in San Mateo County going into the court Friday morning um, in in order to... uh, to get one of those petitions granted, and uh, I was successful. I was able to go in that morning, get the petition filed, have it considered by the court, and walk out of the door uh, before noon with a signed certified copy of the court order granting the petition relief. For those of you who are new to the show, um, I've been practicing Uh, in the Santa Clara Valley as an attorney since 1980. Uh, So um, I just finished my 42nd year in practice in December. Um, That's the anniversary of me starting the practice of law because it was in December of 1980 that I was admitted to practice to the State Bar of California. And I look back, it's kind of amazing to me that it's been that long. Um, I mean, I kind of look in the mirror and I can tell it's been that long, but in terms of uh, practice and all the things I've gone through over the years as an attorney, all the different places I've practiced, all the different offices I've had, the different different people I've had working for me or not working for me, as the case may be, it's just amazing to me that here I am today sitting in my office talking to you all over the radio. When I was in high school, um, I had dreams of being on the radio. Back then, I kind of wanted to be uh, uh, probably a disc jockey. Um, (laughs) And that's an old term. Uh, Basically, uh, a radio, um, well, yeah, DJ. 
Uh, they don't really use discs anymore so much, but still the concept is the same. And uh, I actually studied with the Columbia School of Broadcasting. There, that was kind of a broadcasting voice right there. Um, I sent away, they sent me records. Remember those things, long playing records? And I would play and listen to a lesson and then I would record from a book, record the copy from the book on a cassette recorder. Remember those things? And then I would mail the cassette back into the Columbia School and then they would mail back a critique of the work that I did. Um, I didn't go anywhere with that back then when I graduated from high school. It took many, many more years before I finally ended up on the radio. And uh, my current show, Plan Your Estate Radio, I've been on the air uh, over, um, over five years now. I think I'm actually... Uh, starting to come up on the end of six years now. I believe that's in March. I'd have to double-check the dates, but that will be six years on the air. And it's been a good ride. It's been a long ride. Uh, some of you I know have just started listening to me, maybe for the first time today. Others of you, <clears throat> such as the couple that contacted me uh, the other day, have heard me on the radio for for several months now. I know a lot of people listen to the show when they're driving on the way home early from work. Maybe they're listening to the show when they're in their shop or their office and they have a little bit of downtime. But I want to let you all know um, I am available to help families that need help with their estate planning needs. At present, I do not charge for uh, for consultation, so that should be a good thing right there. But I'm in the process of updating my uh, my entire um, intake process. I will be transitioning to uh, a consultation process that involves one of two paths for consultation. The first path will be those who attend one of my live seminars or attend uh, one of my webinars, which I'm in the process of putting together and hope to have live within another month or so. Those that attend one of my seminars will learn about estate planning and probate and trusts and the difference between wills and trusts. And we'll also have the opportunity to find out at the end of the seminar or webinar uh, how I price my services, what diff what the different levels of my fees are. Uh, and then if you attend a seminar or webinar, you will be able to immediately um, book a consultation with me because you've already uh, seen the webinar or attended a seminar, the consultation will be a free one half hour and uh, and it will basically um, focus on what you think you need to have done and what kind of level of planning you're looking at for me to do for you. The alternative consultation path will be for someone who just wants to book a consultation with me to talk about estate planning but is either unwilling or unable 
to go through my seminar or webinar first, those consultations tentatively will be one hour because I'll need time, uh, about a half an hour or so, to explain a lot of the things that were in my uh, seminar or webinar. Um, But those I will likely be charging for. And uh, right now my thinking is that the fee for that will be about $500 for an hour of my time for someone who just wants to consult without going through the education phase of consultation before coming in to see me. Now, I would take that $500 and I would apply it to the cost of any planning that I do for that person or that couple if they uh, happen to hire me at the end of the consultation. But it's just something to be aware of. Um, In roughly a month or so, perhaps earlier, perhaps a little bit later, I'm likely going to be changing my approach. I have found that um, because of the limited time I have in my office every week to actually meet and talk with people, uh, even on the telephone or in Zoom meetings, I need to be uh, a lot more focused on how many people actually can book time to meet with me and the motivations of those people that book time to meet with me. Um, I want to meet with as many families as possible that I can assist with estate planning. I think it's not very profitable to meet with a bunch of families that uh, could use my services, but quite frankly, cannot really afford my services. So I want to make sure that everyone who comes to see me uh, is aware of what I do, why I do it, the value of what I do and the level of fees that I charge for my services. So that's the direction I'm going in the next month or so. All right, enough about that. We're coming up on the first break of the show today. And when we come back, I will continue the show with my usual approach, which is questions and comments from around the state of California. So if you'll just pause for the commercial break, We should be back in a few minutes. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and I'll talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to the second segment of the show today. I'm going to lead off with a situation out of San Francisco, California. Uh, This actually came through into my feed uh, yesterday afternoon late. And here's the situation. Person said, assume a trustee enlists his best friend, a CPA, to help sell some property from the trust. The best friend cooks the books and acts as an agent of the trust, manages the sales process, and sells the trust property to the best friend's partner's company at 50% of the appraised value of the property. Then assume the partner of the best friend starts a new company with the best friend and the trustee and then deposits this property into the new company. 
Assume it's an undisputed fact that the trustee has breached his fiduciary duty in selling the property under market value in an insider deal. I would stop and say, oh, you think? Yeah, uh, that's not only a breach of the trust law, likely a breach of the trust itself, but it could actually be criminal action, especially if it was done with other people involved. That becomes a conspiracy to defraud uh, defraud the beneficiaries of the trust, and that could actually be uh, criminal charges as well. A person wanted to know, in this scenario, is there precedent that aiding and abetting a breach of fiduciary duty is an enforceable action in probate court, or does that rule apply only in civil court? Well, let's start by answering that question very simply. Probate court is not separate from the civil court system. It is part of the civil court system. Uh, that includes the, the general courts. That includes the family court. Uh, that includes the probate court, the various divisions of the civil court. Uh, probate is just a division or part of the civil court. The civil courts and the criminal courts are separate from each other. And uh, they have kind of different rules and procedures. But probate court, you could bring an action like this in the probate court or in the civil court, um, meaning the, civil, the, the general civil court. It's going to be um, the same. Um, in a case like this, because it involves a trustee, bringing it in the probate court might be more appropriate because the, the probate judge would have the authority to remove the trustee as the trustee, which is likely something that should happen in this situation. Okay, this is out of Long Beach, California, and person said, my father had a revocable trust, now irrevocable because he died. The IRS application for an employee identification number um, or tax identification number is confusing. I'm not sure if we need an EIN for a trust or for an estate. It's for a trust. All assets are in the trust. There's no probate. Again, it's for the trust. So I think I need an EIN for an irrevocable trust and that my dad, the settlor or trustor, is the responsible party. And I list myself and my info as the successor trustee. Is that correct? I'll tell you right now. That's not the approach that I take. The responsible party, technically, on the application, is whoever is the person who is in charge of or has control over the trust assets. Um, now, if it was a, if it was an irrevocable trust set up by someone as the grantor, like the dad, and he was named also as the trustee of that trust, maybe it was set up for the benefit of a child, for example, then the dad would be the responsible party and uh, would provide his social security number. He would also provide his social security number as the grantor of the trust. In a case like this, my approach has always been to list as the risk. Now, the problem is the responsible party um, if you list that on the on the online uh, online application for an EIN, 
it, whoever you list as a responsible party, um, that can cause a lot of confusion when they actually issue the tax ID number. Uh, to me, the responsible party is the person who's in charge, but if you list them as the responsible party according to the instructions, then you end up with that person being identified as the grantor of the trust, which is not really true. So here, I would suggest don't apply for the tax ID number on your own. Have an attorney or a CPA who is well-versed in this uh, do the application for you to make sure that the proper information is reported to the IRS and you don't end up with a confusing situation at the end of the day because that could very easily happen. Okay, out of Encino, California, someone says, uh, my mother died in her trust. She said that her building should be distributed to me. How do I get the building in my name? I'm one of three successor trustees to her trust. What documents do I need to transfer title? Well, the short answer is that um, you would basically be doing a grant deed. Some people use a trust transfer deed. I use a grant deed from the trust signed by all three successor trustees naming you as the grantee, the one actually receiving the property. Uh, there will be a preliminary change of ownership report that has to be signed by you as the one receiving the property. And that preliminary change of ownership report, which we colloquially call a PCOR, will identify information about the property, whether there's any exclusion from reassessment, um, hint, there would not be an exclusion from reassessment if it's a commercial building being transferred. And then that is signed, notarized, and everything is then filed with the recorder in the county where the building is located. So those are the documents that are needed. In some counties, uh, there may also be what's called a documentary transfer tax affidavit that has to be filled out and filed that tells the county why there might not be any documentary transfer tax, which is a special tax typically based on the value of the interest conveyed um, that is paid. There may be county tax. There may also be a city tax, depending on what city the property is located in. But sometimes that tax is not owing. And some counties have a special form where you have to report on that fact and why you don't have to pay the tax. Santa Clara County, where I generally practice, does not have one of those special forms. Uh, but uh, I know that San Mateo County, for example, does have one of those special forms. Well, we're coming up on the mid-show break. And when we come back uh, for the third segment, I'll be continuing with more Plan Your State Radio. This is your host, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hope you're enjoying the show so far, and I'll talk with you on the other side of the mid-show break.
This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to the third segment of the show today. Now, this is um, a question out of San Jose, California, uh, my own town. And it's from yesterday afternoon. And someone asked, can someone not on SSI, Medi-Cal, or other federal services qualify to have a special needs trust? So they're saying the beneficiary at this time is managing without SSI and Medi-Cal. Could they still be set up with a third-party or first-party special needs trust to protect them from predators, swindlers, divorce loss, etc., and to protect their ability to potentially receive government benefits in the future should they no longer be able to be gainfully employed due to their disability? Well, it's it's a really, really good question. (coughs) First of all, we generally talk about setting up a supplemental needs trust uh, rather than special needs trust, even though it's for a typically for a special needs person. A supplemental needs trust is designed to, as the name implies, supplement for whatever needs somebody has, supplement whatever benefits they might be receiving from one or more government programs, such as SSI for income, uh, Medi-Cal for health insurance, uh, Section 8 housing for their housing, and, and, and many other programs that might be available to someone with special needs. If someone is managing without needing any of those services, then it raises the question, can they still set up, can they set up a trust like that with their own property? That would be a first party special needs trust. That's actually what it would be characterized. And the answer is yes, they can do that. They could transfer their own property into that first party special needs trust um, put somebody else in charge of their property and a trust like that because it's designed to supplement government programs it could pretty much pay for anything the person needs if they're not on any government programs uh, uh, let's see I want to make sure you're all following what I'm saying even though it's intended to be used for someone who is receiving government assistance of some kind because it can supplement or provide for their needs over and above what the government provides for, if the government's not providing anything, then it can be used to provide for any and all needs the person has. Uh, Their health needs, educational needs, maintenance and support needs, things like food, clothing, shelter, recreation, vacation, things like that. Um, A third-party supplemental needs trust is set up by someone who puts property in for the benefit of the special needs person. Um, Now, a first-party special needs trust, in order to be set up properly, must provide that on the death of the person 
who put their own property in there. Um, uh, they can qualify for benefits, but on their death, the money in that first party special needs trust has to go first to paying back any government that uh, any governmental entity or program that expended money for that purpose. Now, it's a little more complicated than that. It depends on the age of the person when they were receiving benefits. Uh, but just for simplicity's sake, let's just say it has to be it has to pay back first. A third party supplemental needs trust has no requirement uh, that a government be paid back for any monies they paid out on behalf of the beneficiary. In fact, that's the primary purpose for creating a third party supplemental needs trust so that it can be there to supplement whatever benefits the person was receiving, but also make sure that at the person's death, whatever's left in that trust can be distributed to the person or persons or entity, if it's a charity, for example, that the creator of the trust had decided ahead of time. Uh, So that um, is the main difference between a first party and a third party, SNT, Special Needs Trust First Party, Supplemental Needs Trust Third Party. Uh, One of them has to be distributed back to the government that paid monies out to the extent that monies were received. The other one does not have to repay any monies received by the beneficiary. So, yes, you could set up either type of trust before someone needs it, understanding that they may never need it in their lifetime. They may never reach the point where they're applying for any kind of government benefits, in which case the trust is essentially like an asset, well, in the case of a third-party trust, an asset-protected trust for the person's lifetime. In the case of a first-party special needs trust, um, it's still it, it would be still an irrevocable trust, but because it was a grantor trust, meaning one that was set up by the person for their own benefit with their own assets, it would not be protected from creditors of any kind. Um, but they're substantially the same in how they're set out, except um, the end result when the beneficiary dies is completely different. Uh, here's out of Stockton, California. Someone says, I just found out that Medicaid, that's the Medi-Cal program here in California, can take my only asset, my home, that I want to leave to my child when I pass away. How can I protect my home so my child can inherit it? Um, oh, here, the person saying, how can I protect my home from Medicaid recovery or Medi-Cal recovery when I turn 55? That's the magic age. So this person is probably receiving Medi-Cal benefits right now, probably because they have little or no income, and it's probably being used for health insurance purposes. But at age 55, the state of California will start running what I call uh, the Medi-Cal bar tab. Uh, Monies paid out for your benefit will be added up. And at the end of the day, when you pass away, that claim will come against what you own. Now, here's here's the neat thing. If it's your personal residence, you can take your personal residence 
and put it directly into a trust, even a revocable living trust, and your personal residence will no longer be available to the state to repay any Medi-Cal benefits that you received uh, during your lifetime that were eligible to be repaid to the state. Let me repeat that. Putting your home into a revocable living trust will make it no longer subject to any recovery by the state for Medi-Cal benefits paid out to you during your lifetime. That means even if you were to fill out a trust form from a book that you picked up at at Barnes and Noble, and and then uh, and then uh, filled it out and transferred the title of your house into that trust, that would work. Even a, a LegalZoom trust would work. Um, I'm looking at seriously looking at developing a special uh, medical. Um, Medi-Cal of, of Recovery Avoidance Trust, which is a very simplified living trust package that would have a very simple trust just to hold the property. It would have a financial power of attorney, an advanced health care directive, a HIPAA authorization, and maybe a couple of other things with it. It would be, if I get around to offering it, will be priced considerably lower than my usual planning because it is really estate planning for one specific purpose. And that is to avoid medical recovery claims against a personal residence. So if I, if I do put that together, uh, I'll be letting everybody know when that's available. And I'll also let everybody know what the pricing for that would be. Okay, I got uh, basically one more that I can cover before the end of this segment. This is also out of San Jose. And the person says, I have a family revocable living trust. I just opened a certificate of deposit and they don't allow it to be opened under the name of my trust with me as the trustee. Instead, they required it to be opened under my name with the trust as the beneficiary, will there be any problems as a result? Well, first of all, I would say if they wouldn't let you open in the name of your trust, you might want to consider going to another bank. Uh, but the real problem would be because it's in your individual name, um, you need to make sure that someone has the authority to access that CD if they needed to get the funds out. That would require a power of attorney filed with the bank or credit union, wherever it happens to be. Um, naming the trust as a beneficiary is only part of the equation. They've created a potential problem with uh, maybe needing to have a conservatorship in order to gain access to those funds if other steps aren't taken. Okay, we're coming up on the end of the third segment of the show today. When we come back, I'll wrap up the show with uh, a little bit more discussion about the, uh, the types of planning that I do. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. 
Hi, welcome back to the final segment of the show today. Well, I've covered a lot of ground today on the show, and I thought I would take these uh, final moments together to, uh, to, to go over and uh, do a, a quick summary of the types of legal work that I do in my practice. Um, besides the more straightforward thing of general estate planning, uh, which means planning for the orderly and timely distribution of estates from people when they pass away to the people they wish to receive their property, uh, planning for incapacity of clients so that they have people named ahead of time that can handle their financial affairs, their health care affairs, and manage their assets and their investments. Uh, providing for the nomination of guardians for the children of those who have minor children and then may become incapacitated or pass away. Uh, that is what I call foundational estate planning. That's much of what I do as an attorney. A smaller part of what I do is probate and trust administration. And what that is, is probate administration is going to court to handle the uh, the distribution of the estate of someone who has died, who did not have an estate plan in place involving using a trust or or similar things. And that's, that's what probate administration is. Um, I don't actively seek out probate administration. It just kind of comes to me now and then. Um, and it's uh, basically what happens when there is no planning. Um, the more common probate administration is intestate probate administration, which means uh, where someone dies and they have no plan of all of any kind and don't even have a will in place. And in a case like that, um, we have to go to court and uh, handle all the steps in court to eventually get their property distributed to the people they wish to receive it. If someone has a will and all they have is a will, then we're likely also going to the probate court for the purpose of probating their estate to eventually have it distributed on to uh, the people they wish to receive the property. Probate takes time. Uh, in Santa Clara County, it's probably at least a nine-month process, and that's assuming everything goes smoothly and uh, and we hit the marks uh, when we need to hit the marks uh, and, and file things as quickly as we can, as soon as we can, and get things processed as soon as we can, probably about nine months. Uh, it's completely public. Everything you own, everybody you owe, who your heirs are, who receives the property and what they receive all becomes public record. And um, and that's considered to be not a very good thing by most people I talk with. They don't like the idea that their financial and family affairs will be uh, public record when they die. Trust administration is doing many of the steps that would happen in a probate administration, but done when someone had a trust when they died. Um, so we follow a lot of the same steps. 
but we actually don't um, we don't publish notice to the world. We don't give a list of assets who the beneficiaries are. That's all private. Uh, so that is a major advantage right there because it is private. It's a major advantage over the more public process of uh, of probate. Um, I do trust administration primarily for families where I've done the trust, but not exclusively. I've done trust administration for trusts uh, that were prepared by someone else. Maybe the attorney that prepared it has passed away, retired, moved away, uh, whatever it happens to be. So I assist with that. And then the final thing that I do uh, as part of my practice, which is which is the most significantly growing segment of my practice, is doing the specialized court petitions for um, gathering in loose assets into a trust and also for modifying an existing trust, an irrevocable trust, in order to maybe better reflect the wishes of the family involved, um, to reflect changes in the law, and some cases to put in a supplemental needs trust for a beneficiary that didn't exist there because the person was not disabled when the trust was drafted. Those are called Hegstat petitions and trust modification petitions. Um, I do those uh, regularly in Santa Clara County. Uh, I can also handle them very easily in San Mateo County. I will handle them in Contra Costa County. But for other counties in the state of California, I have um, I have determined a way that I can handle them uh, in Santa Clara County as long as all beneficiaries are in agreement and as long as they're willing to waive notice of any hearing and consent to the petition being filed. So that's pretty much it for today. The weekend's coming up. Hope you have a great weekend. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And uh, this is wrapping it up for the show today. I hope you uh, have a safe drive home if you're on the road or if you're about going to go home after that. I'm about to head home myself. And uh, I'm hoping for a safe drive on the way home, too. So until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And you have a great evening and weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.